You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. All right, what's up, everybody? It's Wes, Dead Air Knife here, with always... Typical Lydia. I haven't found anybody better yet. So you're going to just be here. You're going to be stapled together forever. Yay? (laughs) Question mark? (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about Alice, Sweet Alice. Sweet, sweet Alice. Sweet, sweet Alice. Horror movie that debuted in 1976 under the original title, The Communion. Which I wish it would have stuck with. It would have made a lot more sense. Definitely. The film got a re-release in 1981 as Holy Terror. And this was after Brooke Shields had blown up from Pretty Baby. A lot of times when you're looking at the trailer for Alice Sweet Alice Online, which is the title that it's most widely known for because that was the big wide release. I think Holy Terror, it was only that at the film festival that it debuted at. But um, you hear a lot of comments about, like, Brooke Shields is hardly in this. Why is she getting billing? Well, sometimes in Hollywood, they like to sort of staple someone's name in big, bold letters, even if they don't have the biggest scene in it. Like Jack Nicholson in Little Shop of Horrors. He got a billing even though he's only in one scene. Um, especially in the newer DVDs. Like, if you if you were to go, they're like, look, Jack Nicholson's in this movie. Same with um, The Creature Walks Among Us. It was like the third or f- the third Creature from the Black Lagoon movie has Clint Eastwood in it. And that's a selling point. They're like, look, Clint Eastwood's in this movie. Which is true. It's a very minor role, though. He, he's not the whole movie. Sometimes it's interesting to see people who have later become really big start off in old horror films. Horror is really good for getting people's careers going in Hollywood. Mm. They're not that expensive as far as movies go. And the people are more willing to cast general unknowns. So if you're getting a start off into the industry, horror is a good way to go. Directors, a lot of them start off in horror and a lot of them are just one and done. And then they're just like, well, I did my horror. That was me getting my feet wet. There's my release. And then I'm going to continue on. And then some directors stick with it, and they're just like, oh, I, I'm going to be a horror director, this is what I'm doing. Or they're sort of forced into being horror directors because they try to do other things and nobody cares. Same with actors. Sometimes actors stay within the genre and they never leave it. And then sometimes actors are just like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is doing Critters 2? Critters 3? I think it was Critters 3. Yeah, I think so. And then he's like, well, that's that's that. That's it. That Now I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. That, that or they get trapped in the genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, so again, Brooke Shields is very young for this role. She was probably 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And... She was in it, like, for people to say that she wasn't in it, she was in it for a few minutes is a lie. No. Because she was in it for at least, I mean, a third, a quarter of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She is the first kill. She is the first kill. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out by now, spoiler alert. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the movie. Look, you got to say it. I Yeah, you kind of got it. Uh, well, let's throw in a trigger warning, too. No, that's not. No, I'm not doing that. But I am going to put a spoiler alert because we are going to be talking about the movie in depth. 
I think it kind of goes without saying because every single time within one minute of us beginning talking, we have a spoiler alert. But we should just change the name to Spoiler Alert. We should. No, but for every every one of these podcasts is someone's first podcast. So, you know, I'll say it every time. Okay, so Spoiler Alert. Yeah, Spoiler Alert. Originally, though, when you're calling this movie Alice Sweet Alice, the title itself is implying, and the movie certainly is trying to imply, that the killer is Alice. That is the whole setup. The whole setup is that you're dealing with these two sisters... One Karen, played by Brooke Shields. One Alice. Uh, I don't know who played her. I didn't catch the name. Yeah, neither did I. But she's they they paint her as deranged and disturbed and angry and jealous of her sister. And you would assume that okay, well she kills her, and they, and they they basically set it up to make it seem like that is. I find even after it reveals in the film, it still leaves it open that Alice actually could be part of the the killing that's going on even though she's basically proved not to be and even thought to not be a suspect by the police thought to not be a suspect by some of her family members by most of her family members i believe except one but like there's even points when she's pretty much proved innocent that you think wait a second she is awfully deranged she is definitely uh, out to cause trouble. She's running around pushing buttons in every adult she can and being really maniacal and really just, uh, what did I call her? Like a, oh, aside from calling her a twat. You did call her that. <laughs> I did call her a twat. She was being a twat. She's very bratty. She's very bratty. Beyond like... bratty. She's like a nefarious twat. <laughs> I don't like that word. <laughs> you don't like twat or nefarious? Twat. I don't like that word. She's a nefarious something, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, she definitely, yeah, I, I mean, she says cruel things. She plays cruel pranks. She has very short fuse. She's um, overting, asserting herself uh, sexually before she even understands what sort of sexual power she's possessing with the strangest a, men. And they make allusions to that, too, by, with the two police. This one guy, this one cop says to another cop, you know, you see the way she was looking at me? It's like she wanted me to feel her up. Who says that? Who fucking says that? It was messed up because, I, like I said, I don't know what look a girl of 12 needs to give a guy that says, oh, I know what she wants me to feel her up. Messed up. That's messed up. It's really strange. And there's no... Because, again, it wasn't really even a scene that we saw. This was a scene that he is telling another character about. He's like, oh, when I was doing this... She was looking at me like she, she... It's almost locker room talk at that point because they're talking right after the... Um, uh, I want to say encephalograph, which is absolutely not what was being conducted after the, her the polygraph de- test. Yeah, the polygraph test. Yeah. Lie detector. Yeah. It was a really strange beat. And again, they're sort of playing up, delving into this girl's psychology, trying to see what's wrong with her. And... And I would almost say that the reveal of who the true killer is, is a cheat. And it would have been, I would have just said, well, that's just a cheat. And I hate, I hate when movies or anything tell me for 45 minutes to an hour that this is the person that's probably doing this. This is all the evidence that is supporting this. And... And uh, everyone agrees upon it. And maybe there's one lone person that's trying to uh, assert her innocence, in this case, her mother. And 
And then all of a sudden we throw in a character that we gave you two minutes, uh, like or like two minutes thirty or, or less scene in the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's the killer, not who you think it is. And I would have been really pissed off if that's what if they just revealed who the killer was and then that was the end of the movie or they didn't really expand upon it. However, we did spend a lot of time with that character afterward. We, afterward, yeah, almost half the film, really. When yeah, you think about it. And, and and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them saying, "Oh, this is what the movie is. This is what the movie is." I mean, yes, the title of the movie is then becomes misleading, which is why Holy Terror or Communion makes more sense. Because, you know... It doesn't set her up so harshly as a red herring to end all red herrings. But that's what they wanted, right? They're, they're just like, this whole first part of the movie has been cut to make you think that this is the killer. But she's not the killer. But we want to drive that point home even harder. And so we're going to call this movie Alice, Sweet Alice. Um, thank God they gave more time... With the characters to sort of because I if they had just said well she's just killing people because she doesn't like this new family dynamic in the movie um, you're dealing with a divorced woman and her two children mm-hmm. uh, a husband who has remarried who lives away from the family he is mostly absent he's involved but mostly absent mostly absent and you know you, you know it, it really sort of delves into. The fact that, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out, but there's still feelings there. I mean, they kiss, they they almost have sex, except it's interrupted by a phone call from the guy's uh, second wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really, you know, late 70s, it's really talking about the new family dynamic and how this is kind of becoming more normal. And the the killer is very much of the old world, the old thinking, and very self-consciously Catholic. And, and and in all the strongest senses of that word. As much as Alice is struggling with her own uh, pubescence, she's recently becoming a woman, and she's struggling probably with this split in remarriage. Who knows how long that's lasted. But the parents seem to be very comfortable with their lifestyle and very open and very caring and very welcoming of questions about their lifestyle from their children. The younger daughter, as long as we do see the younger daughter, Karen, in the film, seems comfortable with the arrangement as well. Um, they're a very devout family, like you said, so the church they belong to seems comfortable with it, with the exception of that one person. Everyone around them seems to be very comfortable with it. Alice has her own problems as far as going through hormonal changes that maybe she's not okay with it. But as much as she's struggling with that, then there's this old, I don't even remember the actual name of the character of the killer. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Trendoni. Mrs. Trendoni. Yeah. Okay. I just, I had to look up Paula uh, Shepard, Paula E. Shepard, mm-hmm. who played Alice just because since the title and the whole film revolves around her, I felt bad that we didn't uh, remember her name and she was only in a, one other film. Oh, really? Yeah, Liquid Sky from 1982, which I only remembered upon reading it. And it was like uh, some sort of like um, drug-influenced, like post-apocalyptic, weird utopian fucking mess of a animation. But anyway. So it's just like dual fucking, it's like a dual discomfort that these two women, one really young and one really old, are feeling this, like, 
maiden and crone kind of problem when they're clashing with the family caught in between and butcher knives lots of butcher knives well just one i think there was multiple butcher knives i really do they don't keep their edge very well that's true yeah i don't know but and it was so strange because you know you had again going back to how they're just pushing alice as the killer and and i mean is she because they had like the they had these scenes where she had sort of like this altar of stuff a creepy doll pictures a jar of cockroaches it seemed very much like they were trying to paint her as this deranged little girl and while she clearly has issues she's not the killer of the movie when you find out the motivations behind the uh, actual killer Mrs. Uh, Trendoni you find out that it's more about taking vengeance on what she believes to be an affront to the church. Mm-hmm. And even at the end of the movie, when she is denied communion because she needs to get picked up by the police, the police are coming to get her, she shouts out and calls um, Linda Miller's character, Catherine. The mom. The mom, yeah. Like, calls her a whore out in church. And again, that's the whole motivation to this. She just calls her a whore constantly. It doesn't like this whole the divorce dynamic and again kills Karen at the beginning of the movie because she the children will pay for the sins of the parents. And she's basically a child of sin because the mother did a, uh, admit at one point that she was pregnant before she got married. Yeah. Mrs. Trendoni knew that too. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a warped little nugget considering at that time not a lot of people lived in split families like that, yeah. let alone were conceiving out of wedlock and having these, uh, yeah, bastard it, children. It was interesting because, again, it seemed it was interesting. I liked it because you know in the late seventies, going into the eighties, the world was changing really fast, and it had been changing since the sixties. But at this point, there would have been just weary people who remembered when the traditional family existed, the traditional ideals of your place in the world. You know you. You grow up, you go to school, you meet somebody, uh, you get married, you have kids, and then you just repeat that process over and over again. And then to have the new family dynamics in their face, but yet still going to church and still um, trying to be part of the community when you know she feels that they shouldn't be part of the community. And of course, not only did she not like how the world had changed around her, she also hated the fact that she had become old and and people didn't respect her in the community like they did. Um, and I thought those moments were really interesting. And again, they served the movie really well into making this a believable character to me. I, I understood what her motivations were. It wasn't just, oh... Here's a character at the beginning of the movie. We're going to show her for 30 seconds to a minute. And then we're going to, sh- the next time you see her, that's, sh- oh, she's yeah, the she's killer. Yeah, she's got rage she's face and here and, she is. And, yeah. and then that's just the ultimate cheat where they just sort of throw it out there as, oh, well, 
this is who the killer really was. And they offered no evidence throughout the... You know, I, like, I'm not saying you have to spell it out for me. I no, if they would have shown even a few more scenes in between our first introduction to the character and the first real reveal, then if they would have shown more scenes of her in those roles that were explained after in the last half of the film, then I would have been a lot more comfortable with it. Especially considering on top of all of that super important background that creates the this burning hatred and and need for like vengeance on in this woman she's in a subservient role to them she's cleaning up after their pastor who they basically waltz into their his house it seems whenever they want and yeah. you know she's serving the mother tea and coffee and chasing after the children when they're in the pastor's home we're we're also in an age where we're not that comfortable with our religion anyway anymore so that's a whole different world that we can't really relate to, I don't think. Yeah. Let alone clinging to the nuclear family the way that she is. But yeah, she's definitely in a subservient role. I don't know if she ever did have the same class as they did. Yeah. I think she's always been in service to the church. So she's always been in this super submissive role, not only to the church and the monsignor and the current pastor or whatever position that man holds, father, whatever his name is, she holds a submissive position to their entire family and all their relatives, friends, and everyone that goes to the church. Yeah, and she just had reached this breaking point and committed her first murder. And then, as you see, the next murder becomes that much easier and more brutal. Um, well, to the point that she's stoning a man to death which is just the most ultimate biblical atonement. She's basically cleansing him with that action, which is kind of mental, That he, who she's carrying it out on. It's probably the most innocent out of all of them. And the yeah. one that the women seem to be confiding in. The women really confide in men in this film, and he was a really good example of that, how the yeah. women would turn to this man. And he would he was really a, a rock and a, and a solid... Um, anchor yeah very much like things are gonna be all right we're gonna figure this out don't worry about it yeah you know and they really were you know trying to not pass judgment on people or the women particularly because it was the women that were that were causing so much trouble unfortunately and he what did he get for it rock in the face Uh, uh, repeatedly yeah (laughs) and he probably if she if he would have been able to just like whoa whoa let, like, let's talk this over. You know, you've obviously got some issues. <laughs> let's see if we can't, you know, you can go to confession again or something. I don't know what it would take. He pro- he would have heard her out and he would have probably understood a lot of where she was coming from. But no, she had to be all rage face and stony. Very rage face, very stony. And a lot of the characters were really uh, emotional. I know you were bringing that up quite a few times. I could not because it was just surreal to me and alien. And I come from... Uh, maybe a family that relies on humor, relies on, uh, you know, a little bit of Spock. we got a little bit of Spock in my family, yeah. maybe, when it comes to moments of strife or anguish. we got to look at, like, logically, how should you be reacting? What what do you need to do right now? And that's like a, almost like a thing that I've heard my family and friends say, like, well, you know, what you need to do is, and it's not, there, there, let's cry it out. It's absolutely not that sort mm-hmm. of reaction to... Stressful situations in my life. Um, <laughs> Catherine's sister, she, when they've discovered Karen's body, she's like 
fucking like Kermit the Frog, like flailing her arms around like. <laughs> I remember that when you know, okay, okay, we don't quite got the pandemonium we need, so maybe if you put your arms above your head, <laughs> turn it up, man. <laughs> there, okay, there we go. There we got some pandemonium happening. Okay, keep it up. Yeah, uh, the screeching and cl- uh, crying. Uh, are really intense in this movie. You put me um, in my place a couple times with like, hello, they're at a funeral, or hello, her well, daughter just died. there's that. I don't, I have no problem believing that a mother, upon the uh, her ex-husband showing up at the funeral, would see, w- would see him and then just allow herself to break down like that. Because she was, if you remember that scene, they were sitting in the car and they were very, they were both very sort of stoic looking. Yeah. And then when she saw that, I could see that sort of vulnerability bubbling out. And then it's like, I'm going to break down right now because like you said, he was a rock and that's probably the relationship they've always had. Mm-hmm. And so she, she's like, I am going to allow myself to just cry on this guy for right now because this is what I absolutely need to do. So there were scenes like that that didn't hit me in the wrong way him screaming was just really weird when he's getting rolled. Like, look, if someone tied me up and hit me in the face with a brick and started rolling me towards a cliff, a, a, a suit ledge, doom of any sort, a, a ledge of some kind, I would probably make some noise. It just, I've, I, I don't know if it was just the way he was screaming. That was strange to me. I did that didn't strike me as odd at all. The way he was reacting there. And we, so I heard it and then we rewatched it. So, I mean, I definitely heard that. It didn't seem odd to me. It didn't seem as surreal to me and over the top as all the other emotional reactions in the film. Yeah. I I found uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Trendori, when she was delivering a lot of her lines, like her screeching monologues, that on top of her accent, I had a really hard time understanding. The one or two times she even threw out some Latin. So it's not all your fault. Did she really throw out some she Latin? She really did throw out some Latin. Well, Biblical that. Latin, not like the fluent hangout Latin like I talk, you know. Fluent hangout Latin? It's like the ultimate hipster. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I'm just going to hang out and talk in this dead language. You wouldn't understand. Unless you got your Latin primer. <laughs> Which I don't have. What do you mean? Well, I don't have a Latin primer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I'll lend you my Latin primer sometime. I don't believe that that's a thing. <laughs> I can go upstairs and get it. It's beside my 1911 copy of The High Road of Song. So, back to this movie. <laughs> there was a it's a pretty creepy guy in it. Which one? Oh, the giant guy or the little tiny cuckold? The big, the big, the giant guy, Mr. Alfonso. I'd love to see a film with just the cuckold and the fat guy. I don't know, some sort of sideshow circus thing. Oh my god. The first image of him is oh my god, from Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Who's the big green guy? Oh. Boris? Igor. Igor. Yeah, at first glance he looks a lot like Igor from Hilarious House of Frightenstein, but just not green. He's just this different big... body shape. Like because this guy was really big on the bottom. Yeah. Igor was kind of just like an like all around Barbara Papa. Yeah, he looked like a pear or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Just giant. And he was just, he was massive. Yeah. And just he's pale. And he had like a dirty apartment and it was full of these little kittens. And he was just always sitting 
in white stained clothes fanning himself. The stain on his crotch. The I had never stain. noticed. That was that all was I could mental. see. I was, I was just like, why do they have... Of course, me trying to make excuses for this poor gentleman. Like, oh, no, it must be on his shirt. No, it's probably on his shirt. It's it's right in front of his zipper. Just this disgusting. Like he's been whipping it out and not giving a shit and sticking it back in and giving less shits. Or like, I have to pee now, but I'm too lazy to unzip my pants. Could be. I think it would be a bigger, weirder stain. But maybe grimy hands when he unzips. That's what it is. It was pretty gross. Full of cat food. You know, so you, you paint this character as really strange, but then... You feel kind of bad for him at the start because, you know, Alice is verbally abusive to him, calls him fatso. And uh, there's that incident with the cake where she sort of licked the cake and didn't. Yeah. But, you know, that he's verbally abusive back to him and stuff like that. It's one of those situations where he seems to be implying that he knows. And since he knows that there's something wrong with her and that. He believes that she killed her sister. Even though he wasn't anywhere near that church, that's for sure. I don't think he leaves that chair. No, he doesn't know anything about it, but he said... But again, like since the whole movie is trying to make you as the viewer think that Alice is the killer, Mm -hmm. they are setting this up again as more evidence to support that. Oh, yeah. He knows. Especially people really close to her, minus her mother, of course. Uh, her aunt, and then this neighbor who does seem to interact with her a lot. That's who has to deal with him. When what? he's like, hey, are you going to go to the store for me? It seems like that's a regular thing that happens. So it's not just that one time that she came down and was a jerk, and or that her mom sent her down the next day with a cake or whatever. Like, bring him cake. A bigger jerk. Bring him the rent yeah. check. Can you like go to the they store? They probably interact this? several times a day. Um, and there's some sort of relationship there, even though they just loathe each other. But he has obviously kind of tailed her as well and done a little bit of uh, investigative work of his own because he says, like, he knows what she does. He's watched her. He knows what's going on in her private areas. Down there, he says, which at first made me give a double take oh, until he yeah. clears it up by saying the basement. <laughs> the basement. Then there's that scene. Maybe he did mean down there because not till later on do they give away that she has experienced... Um, her she, period for yeah, the first time and not told anyone. That's so true. Oh, you wanna, maybe, maybe that's what he meant. Maybe she's keeping some sort of, um, you know, soiled panties, some sort of like um, feminine napkins or something or something else in her little altar of strangeness that he's seen down there. Well, he wants to see a hell of a lot more down there because he tries to... In this one scene where she tries to leave after she enters his apartment to give him the rent check, they have their sort of verbal jousting that they've been doing throughout the entire yeah, movie. Typical tête-à-tête that they have, where she's a big jerk. And you almost get the sense that they that, that maybe that's just how they like to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But they but then then it turns to genuine menace. Cause yeah, it's whole, molestation. He definitely assaults her. Lee, fuck! He starts wringing his hand down her hair and then he just she tries to leave and he closes the door and I started getting super uncomfortable and then and then the whole time I think I was like they couldn't have found a grosser looking guy to be acting this way too and I'm wondering if it's just the casting director was like I want the most slovenly looking pig to also be a fucking pedophile he's got nice eyes 
What? <laughs> what? He has really gentle eyes. As he's blocking this little girl's escape. Oh no! It's... No, before that, what the hell? I think that they yes did cast him because he does look like a very huge, slovenly, pedophile type. It's. Oh, a parent. creeper. He total is a total creeper. creeper. But there is some sort of strange, weird trustworthiness going on in his face. They cast him really, really well. If they would have made him any more creepy, you wouldn't have even wanted her to be in her apartment. All ki- His apartment, rather. All kinds of alarm bells would have been going off where she was anywhere near him. And you would have been like, why on earth does her mother let her go anywhere near that guy? Why have they not had him removed? Why have they not reported him to the police? <laughs> Well, they pretty much established that her mom doesn't have the best instincts of anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean... Well, sometimes what you see isn't what you believe. You know? It's true. And look, you know... She points that out numerous she times. D- she does. People just believe what they want to believe. Yeah. Although, at that point, you sort of roll your eyes at her because, again, the entire movie has been pushing the fact that Alice is a killer. Once you realize that Alice isn't a killer... You start thinking, oh, well, I guess she knows her kid. She knows her kid might be weird. But then they throw in a few more things that make you think, oh, wow, she's really devious because she's got me convinced that she's not the killer and the cops and her family, everybody, everybody, everybody. And there is even this other person running around, but it still could be her. She does a really good job of those nefarious, devious looks and still being a super jerk to everyone around her, usually one-on-one. Um, I think that it all gets kind of laid to rest, and maybe it is the device of the actual literal red herring on a plate in Mrs. Trendori's kitchen that she shows um, Alice's mom when she has her over for coffee. I think yeah. it's, it's really at that point onward that all those accusations die, and there's no possible way that anyone else but her could be the killer. Yeah. Um, which is a strange little device to use, considering the cinematic significance of a red herring and the amount of red herrings that had been played out to that point in the film. And how early it happens in the movie. That was the thing that really shocked me when uh, Alice's aunt gets stabbed and everything sort of blows up. I I was like, wow, that's really... I don't feel like the movie has been on for more than 30 minutes to 40 minutes. Um, and, And then this happened... Again, all the accusations are still pointed firmly at Alice at this point. But I kind of felt like maybe there would have been one or two murders before it all sort of blew up. But this, again, I was thinking as if this was a slasher movie. And it is, but there's also a lot there's a lot more going on here than i think just body counts and and things of that nature i think i think this movie i mean i really liked it i'll tell you i think that it's really talking about the new family dynamic and the old world clashing with each other and to deadly results in this like the the worst possible result of that and and then also it delved into the motivations behind the killer in a way that a regular slasher wouldn't really do. I mean, if you just kind of give a killer 
a knife and then they just kill people. And... Yeah, paint them with a really broad brush stroke and be yeah. like, oh, his mom didn't hug him enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I think that this was really, uh, like, I bought it. I bought the character's motivations. It was confusing because at the end of the day, I guess you're just supposed to believe that, like, Alice is just a jerk. Like, I don't, like. <laughs> yeah, at the very end, it basically boils down to, Maybe she'll go on to kill. Maybe this was a nice training ground for our super psycho. And that's a weird fucking beat because at the end of the movie, Mrs. Uh, Trendori is getting carted away after she kills the priest, her her closest friend, arguably, the person that she trusts the most. When in her, you know, the thing that I, again, what I really liked about this character was the fact that the first kill seemed to come hard and she hid the body and was really trying to, I don't know if she thought maybe she could burn down the whole church and they'd never know or whatever, but you know, she felt more about like, Oh, I'm going to hide this. And then the second was in broad daylight. It was when the woman's walking down the potential witnesses and she like, was running everywhere. out of the house in front of even more witnesses. And, and she didn't get away with it. So she fucked up and, and the person didn't die. The person all. didn't die. Yeah. And so, and then, and then you know, and then it's just like the murders just keep ramping up. They get more brutal, mm. more in on public display, and then, and then the last one is just almost like it's like I sure these are the reasons why I was doing this, but maybe I actually like doing this because again she won't allow communion and then in her rage she isn't allowed communion and then in her rage she stabs someone who is convinced, throws out a line to the cops, she won't do anything to me. Yeah. She won't do anything to me. And she just stabs him in the neck. And then she sits there hugging his bleeding out body. And I love that scene. Yeah. I really, like, I mean, it sounds fucked up, but whatever. I, like, I just loved how she sort of realized what she had done, dropped the butcher knife in horror and then hugged him and it was almost like no 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 it's okay you're okay this is okay like yeah almost like she okay. came to and someone else had done it to him yeah yeah way. and and she's like you're okay and he's just like eyes are open bleeding copious amounts of blood all over her everyone's the, flipping out everyone's flipping she's out around her pretty calm and consoling him almost she's pretty calm yeah and then uh and, and i just i was like oh that's a great scene i really liked it and, but then mm-hmm. um you find out that alice has stolen the murder weapon and sort of creeping away covered in it away from everyone and again, it could be just that. It could be that she wanted to have the murder weapon, or they could be implying because she looks at the camera. Yeah, she breaks the fourth wall to let you know that she knows that you know that she's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely taking this knife and she's going to put it in her creepy little altar in the basement that everyone seems to know about. Yeah. And maybe it is her coming of age as a woman, it's her little phallic symbol covered in blood. Very, you know, timely for her, considering. Oh, artful. I did not, I would not, I would not have put that together. I've read too much books lately. That's, that's your problem. I don't read. Yeah. The thing about this affront to the nuclear family, it also rings true in Rosemary's Baby. Really similar thing. It's true. Like you're having a baby. You're not married. You're not planning on getting married. It's got to be Satan inside you, obviously. You're mm. going to have the son of Satan because 
you know, you're a front to the church, you're a front to moral decency, you're a front to us and our families and the way that we were brought up. And we're all old now. And here you are young and with child and you're making these crazy decisions. We're, we're obviously a satanic cult, <laughs> you know, and we're obviously going to take the child of Satan, which you obviously have. That's sort of like what it all boiled down to. And this sort of boils down the same thing. Like there's this abomination of a family with these two oddball daughters and a split up love life and a remarried husband who deserves to be stoned because our church needs to preserve, you know, moral decency. And I'm getting old and never got to experience all this stuff. I guess she never had children, eh? I guess not. It doesn't really... Religiously instilled hatred that boiled over. Yeah. Yeah, that woman just hit her breaking point. Yeah. And And it was sort of just fed off of seeing this girl undergoing these changes, sort of like weird mirror image changes that made her mm-hmm. hit her breaking point. And I guess like at at some point, if everyone thought that Alice had done it anyways, then you're like, oh, I'm golden. I'm scot-free. I, they all think that she did the killing. But it was strange to me because, because she got out because somebody else died. When she, when Alice was... And was it like a mental institution or basically, right? It seemed, yeah, it was like, it she, must have been she was, because she, it had a child's ward. It was yeah. a hospital. It was a hospital time. where she was under observation so yeah. at the very least. And not allowed to leave. And not allowed to leave. So, but then uh, her father gets killed and that's when we, we find out who the real killer is. But I mean, I thought that maybe if you had committed murder and gotten away with it in so much as people think that everyone's focused on Alice at the very least. Mm-hmm. You committed another murder while while she was locked away and couldn't have possibly done it. It seems like a weird slip up or maybe she didn't even care about that. Maybe it was one of those maybe it was literally like or jealousy run amok. I mean, she's obviously committing these um murders as much as you want to wrap it around the veil of religious atonement or you know preserving moral decency or whatever warped ideas she had it is it does boil down to some sort of rampant jealousy so she's like taking on this family who has things that she could oh for sure and and using the religion as as the excuse but it's not that then she looks at alice who's getting even more attention in a way it's that warped attention because people think she's a killer so as much as she would like to think oh look i got away with it then hey wait a second I got away with something that I think is really important and something that I should be recognized for and that these people should be damned for and continue to be damned because they're not all dead yet, I suppose. And Alice is getting all this attention, so I better draw that attention away from her and make it really clear that she's not the killer and that someone else is, if not me. Hmm. I like that point. Thanks. <laughs> And on that point, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.